On this episode of This Week in Linux, Linus Torvalds gave his opinion on WireGuard, Lubuntu announced that they're taking a new direction, Lineage OS launches their annual summer survey, and the Heary Company gives their experience for selling proprietary software on Linux. Then we'll check out some distro news from Slackware, OpenWRT, Ubuntu LTS, and Rebecca Black OS. Later in the show, we'll check out some Linux gaming news, as well as the five reasons to switch to Linux from Windows, as written by a Forbes contributor. And we'll have a look at an interesting blog post from the KDE team about Plasma's engineering and a new Spectre variant vulnerability called NetSpectre. All that and much more coming up. I'm Michael Tunnell with Tux Digital, and this is your source for Linux GNU's. Before we get started, I just want to let you know you could join the Telegram group or the Discord server for the channel. And the Discord server is open to everyone. And we could have you could have discussions with the rest of the community as well as myself in both Telegram group and the Discord servers. We also have subreddits for both Touch Digital and This Week in Linux. They're not very active because I haven't used them that much, but you know I could work on that in the future, hopefully. You could also join the Steam group if you'd like to play games with the rest of the community as well as myself. And also follow the channel and the show on Twitter, Mastodon, Diaspora, and many more. To find out more, you can go to tuxdigital.com slash contact. Up first in the show, uh, Linus Torvalds had an opinion he provided on WireGuard about whether or not it should be included into the kernel. And this is a really interesting thing because it's, you know, Linus is known for when he gets put into news articles or uh, podcasts, it's typically it's related to some kind of rant he's made. And this one's kind of nice because it's like sort of a rant wrapped in a compliment. Here's what he said about WireGuard. He says, I see that Jason actually made the pull request to have WireGuard included in the kernel. Can I just once again state my love of WireGuard and it gets merged soon? Maybe the code isn't perfect, but I've skinned it and compared to the horrors that are OpenVPN and IPsec, it's a work of art. So to compliment, a little bit of a jab in there for other things. Anyway, if you're not familiar with WireGuard, WireGuard is basically it's a, it's a VPN that uses crypto, uh, cryptography built into it. And the WireGuard website describes it as an extremely simple yet fast and modern VPN system. It aims to be faster, leaner, simpler, and more useful than IPsec. They also says WireGuard is designed for a general purpose VPN for tunneling on embedded interfaces and supercomputers alike. So essentially it's like a VPN tunnel that could be built into the kernel at some point which if it does, that'd be really awesome. Linus seems to be a big fan of WireGuard and uh, with a good reason. Lubuntu is taking a new direction with the upcoming release of Lubuntu 18.10 and also beyond, of course, too. They're taking a new direction and they've posted a blog post on their website at lubuntu.me and the blog post is to help everyone understand what the transition and the focus for the team is will be for in the future. Essentially what they're talking about is that Lubuntu is known for being a lightweight distro and used for computers that are really old or something like that. And in my opinion, it's kind of like, it's got like a, a reputation of being like the secondary distribution you put on some old hardware that you're not really using. And I think that's a unfortunate reputation. So I'm kind of glad that they're doing this because it allows, they're modernizing the whole 
the whole ecosystem of the distro, and it's I think that's really cool. So I'm I'm really excited to see what happens, especially what they're going to be using, which is LXQt or LXQt as some people know it, and this will be replacing the LXDE desktop environment. Now the reason why they're doing this is because hardware these days is kind of abandoning the old like 32-bit infrastructure of hardware, so that you don't really need a incredibly light DE. Now that's that's not the main reason, but there's essentially LXDE is dead. Now you could argue that it's not really dead because there's a little bit of maintenance. But as far as like the fact that the vast majority of the LXDE team has abandoned LXDE and moved on to LXQt and are working on that, it means that LXDE is never ever going to get a port to Wayland or anything like that. So that means you're gonna look you're looking at or the Lubuntu team would be looking at potentially using LXQt, LXDE sticking with that and just accepting the bit rot or forking LXDE into a whole new thing and having to port everything to Wayland, which means they'd have to essentially redevelop the entire system with GTK3. And understandably, they don't really want to do that. But I think the best option would be what they chose, which is LXQt. And I'm very much interested in finding out what happens with this because LXQt is a very good desktop environment. It's a light desktop environment, but also is very powerful and modular. So you and you and it's still using OpenBox as the window manager and all that. So it's it's very similar. It's just like maybe 10, 20% heavier than the previous LXDE. So you get all the modern features and benefits while still being relatively light, but just not being the absolute lightest you could op- op- offer. But it wasn't even really the lightest possible anyway. You could use OpenBox directly and have a ridiculously light system or one of the other 20 window managers that are even lighter. Now, I think this is a good idea, and I'm glad they're doing it, and I can't wait to try it out. So if you have any thoughts on this, please feel free to leave a comment in the comment section below, and um, let me know what you think. And the last thing I wanted to say about this particular uh, piece of news is, if you think about it, Lubuntu started 10 years ago. And the hardware from 10 years ago, if you're looking at, we want to support 10 years old hardware, or a little bit older, something like that, the hardware that is now 10 years old is still relatively powerful. And, and you can even argue that it's like the introductory level hardware. If you had like really good hardware 10 years ago, you have basically introductory hardware now. So the comparison between when Lubuntu was first started supporting 10, 15-year-old hardware is vastly different from the current state of it supporting 10 to 15-year-old hardware. It could still do that. But if it wanted to support the super old, you're looking at like 20-year-old, 25-year-old hardware. And uh, I think this is a good option for that because you still get the lightweight aspects, but you get a much more modern system. So anyway, like I said before, let me know what you think in the comments below. GNOME 3.30 has entered beta. And so this GNOME 3.30 is the anticipated next iteration of the GNOME desktop. And this, the final release is scheduled for September 5th, but you can download the beta now if you'd like to. Uh, and some distros may include the beta for testing purposes if, you, if you'd like to check that out. What's coming in this new version for three, GNOME 3, GNOME GNOME 3.30 is not, the Nautilus file manager is going to receive a lot of improvement, especially with some improved Flatpak experience. The search engine enhancements for making finding files easier is being, is being improved, so that's great. 
Knowledge will be receiving touch support for menus and views improved visuals. So you'll be able to do t like touch screen support much easier than previous versions, which is nice, especially when uh, Purism probably appreciates that. Maybe they even helped make it as far as like the touch aspects to it. And there's going to be a lot of core uh, uh, core component updates and app updates across the whole you know stack. But you know, like they normally do with like Epiphany and uh, the calendar application and things like that. So if you'd like to find out more, you can find a link to the show notes and you know check out what's the latest versions. And also you can check out the uh, flat the flat pack nightly builds of it. So you can do like a test run of the latest version. Up next in the show is KDE Plasma has a blog post out there about the engineering plasma and the extensions system. So this is a really cool blog post if you're interested in how Plasma is built and put together. They have they have they explain quite a few things that I wasn't aware of, uh, but also there's a lot of things that they're just kind of clarifying certain things. Like so, if you're interested, you can check out the link in the show notes. But for the the overview is that they're describing that the the shell UI and the compositor are isolated in separate processes, which are Plasma Shell and Kwin or Quinn, whatever. Not sure which one it's supposed to be. If you go to their section on their website, it says, pronounced as one word. Well, both Kwin and Quinn are both one word, so be more specific. And anyway, this allows them to separate the processing between the shell and the compositor so that if, you're, if you need to restart your desktop, you don't have to worry about losing any apps or anything like that because they're separated between the window manager and the, the desktop shell itself. They're also working on a new multi-process architecture, which will make it even more uh, separated so that you can have like the extension system separated from the shell and the compositor and all this other stuff. It adds extra resilient from crashing and also makes it have the ability to a little bit of security benefits as well for like, you know, for example, if you have an untrusted extension code or something like that, you could sandbox it away from the rest of your system. That is really cool. Now, if you're looking at the, the chart right here, it says that the extensions are inside of the plasma shell. And the way this is kind of confusing is it, it implies that it makes people think sometimes that the extensions will break plasma if they break. But that's not necessarily the case because they're kind of more, they're designed to be a modular structure. So what's really cool about the way that plasma is built is that everything is an extension, essentially. So like the panel system, the menu widgets, the the desktop, even the desktop itself, like the way the icons are laid out and things like that, everything is essentially a widget. So because the shell encompasses all the widgets, it allows them to be modified and moved and uh, replaced and all kinds of things without having to without modif without mo damaging the shell in any way. So it's a really cool structure that if you would like to learn more about, you can find a link in the show notes. And another thing about it is that they're going to be talking about you know, the the upcoming changes and the differences between like what the the new multiprocess architecture is going to be talked about in the next the upcoming academy, which is the conference for KDE. And this conference is starting pretty soon on August 11th. So by the time this show is released, it'll be this coming weekend. So I'll be checking out that for the you know throughout the academy to bring you all the cool news from the from the event in the in a future episode. So, yeah. Up next in the show is the summer survey or attack of the feedbacks from Lineage OS. 
So Lineage OS is doing a survey that they're doing for their users or potential users who would like to provide their opinions for various different things like uh, style API, the the UI of various different components, uh, applications by default, things like that. So you can like rate various different applications. So specifically, they're asking you to seek to seek information related to what you think of the various apps, like the clock app, the gallery app, the messaging app, things like that. So if you'd like to participate and provide your information, of your opinion, then feel free to check out the link in the show notes for the survey. And just so you know, they say that privacy is important to us. As such, we do not run metrics on devices. In light of this, it would like we would like to con- you to contribute and provide your opinions freely. And the window is open now for doing so. So as you can see, like this, this is related to the fact that they don't actually take any of your information while you're using Lineage OS. So if you'd like them, you'd like to give them information about what you'd like to be improved or changed or fixed or anything like that. This would be a good time to do that. So check it out. The link in the show notes. Next up in the show is kind of a repeat, sort of, not really, but last episode I talked about OpenWRT as a replacement for Cisco firmware routers and stuff like that, or you know, getting a whole open firmware for your router in general. And you could say that I kind of predicted this, even though I actually had no idea. Within a couple days after releasing the episode, OpenWRT released a new version of their of their system. But what's really interesting about this is this is the first release for OpenWRT since the LEDE project merged back into OpenWRT. If you're not familiar, OpenWRT is a firmware, custom firmware you can flash onto your router and it gives you a lot more control over your router rather than the ISP or the manufacturer of the router if you purchase it like outright online or something like that. I don't know if, if you did it on, if you were to flash your firmware on a router that you got from your ISP, if that would even, like, it might void your warranty or something. It might even be against their terms. I don't know. But still, OpenWRT, OpenWRT is a really great project, and I'm very happy to see that, you know, to know that LEDE is back into the same project and that they have now released. Um, this is a really big release because it incorporates over 4,000 commits since the previous branching of the LEDE 17.01. And there's a lot of improvements, such as the system upgrade procedure has been improved and made it much easier to do. They've improved the network user land, updated the Linux kernel, which is always great. They've added mitigations for Spectre and Meltdown, which is absolutely important, and a lot of other things. So if you'd like to... Actually, one more thing. The the auto rollback functionality to revert configuration changes is really cool so i'm happy to see that it's been added so if if anyway if you'd like to see more about openwrt you can find a link in the show notes up next in the show is Heary's company that makes a mail client for well linux and other platforms for using microsoft exchange or office 365 they shared their experience in a blog post about selling proprietary paid product on linux this is an interesting topic because this is something that's very rarely done from a company that you know express, expresses their experience between you know dealing with the community, finding the format to use for releasing on Linux and things like that, and their you know interactions with uh, the whole overall system of uh, distributing Linux software and dealing with support and things like that. This is an interesting 
blog post for them to provide because it also gives them their they give their opinion of how Linux could improve and how uh, companies who'd like to support Linux can do so and what they should do in order to do it. So it's an interesting blog post, and if you'd like to find out more about the or read it yourself, you can find a link in the show notes. But just like a brief overview of what they were talking about, they say that they do believe that it's it's possible to make a living out of selling Linux software to Linux users alone. So exclusively to Linux users, you could make a you could make a profit and you know make a living of doing it. That is a really interesting thing because a lot of people don't think that that's true. And I, as a Linux user for a very long time. I am happy to see to you know finally see some companies that are uh, realizing this because it is totally a true thing. You could because the dedication to the platform that the Linux users have is you know way more than than the, any other platform. Just because just by releasing software on Linux, you're going to get attention, and that especially if you're a, a big company, you're going to get attention for it, and that's something that a lot of companies should you know consider just by getting just by giving us attention you get attention right so anyway another thing they said is that most of the result most of the paid linux users are through word of mouth and not through uh, advertising which is the opposite for the windows and mac people they haven't noticed anything that distinguishes linux users from everyone else they're no more cost conscious than mac or windows users they are definitely willing to pay for software which totally agree that's uh that's why you could make a living out of using it. But anyway, there's there they did find some negatives and these those are true things. They said that unfortunately the the fundamentalist FOSS mentality, as how they described it, uh that they encountered on Reddit is still alive and well. Some Linux blogs and podcasts simply wouldn't give them the time of day. Now they wouldn't say which blogs or podcasts those were, and I can go ahead and tell you it wasn't mine, because uh, you know. But anyway, security and privacy are very important to Linux users, which is very true because, you know, like uh, open source and free culture is very important, but in some cases it's hard to justify for a company to release their software as open source. Now, I would really prefer, of course, that if every piece of software was open source, that would be my preference. But it's not necessarily a practical thing to think about, like to even imply. Like if a company says, I would like to make software for Linux, I go, thank you very much, regardless if it's open source or not. But there are a lot of people who don't have that opinion and would attack a company for having the audacity to provide proprietary software. Now, I understand the 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 fundamental reason of why they, they think that. It's just... It's just not a practical thing, so I guess we could discuss that in the comments below if you'd like to. Anyway, going moving on with the, with the blog post, they talked about how in order for them to finally convince to make software for Linux after having dealt with the community that was very negative to them, they were approached by Canonical, and they said that they were super helpful, and they wanted to help them make the snap of their software. So they, they're saying that if... If for tips for developers is they they want you to think about connecting to Canonical as far as like making Snap software. So that's interesting because that puts the first four the foremost thing is to use Snap as a format so that you can kind of uh, avoid a lot of the issues of 
you know, releasing software on Linux because releasing software on Linux is um, painful because dev files and RPMs and tarballs and all these other things that are not necessarily compatible with each other. Whereas if you use a snap or a flat pack or an app image, you have a lot more, you know, a lot broader support. And it just makes more sense to use one of those or release a version for all three if you want to. I'd be okay with that. And I'm happy if someone supports Linux. If someone creates their software to support Linux, I appreciate that by itself. Now, I would absolutely prefer it to be open source as well, but I still appreciate their efforts to support it at all. So if you're if you're a developer and you're looking to support Linux, you should absolutely check out this blog post. And if you're just curious about what they've said in it, uh, you can find a link in the show notes. Up next in the show is some unfortunate news, but not surprising news, is that there's another Spectre vulnerability variant found. And this one is called NetSpectre because it can be performed remotely. So the latest vulnerability shows how Spectre can be used across cached data remotely. One of the benefits of why this is not as bad as it could be is that it takes a long time to do it. So it could be anywhere between three, four hours or so before you get something useful, you're running this exploit. But the fact that this exploit can be done means that it could be improved possibly in the future. So it's good that mitigations are being worked on to address this particular exploit or vulnerability. You know, it's not really an exploit because it doesn't exist yet, but it's a vulnerability itself. So this is this is not good, but it's all it's good that it, we know about it now and we're already and people are already working on fixing it and that there currently isn't an exploit to speak of. And but there is technically a proof of proof of concept that has been made that is just showing that it's possible. So anyway, you might not be interested in find, in hearing about new vulnerabilities on the Spectre meltdown aspects. They're going to continue. I, I'd be surprised if there's not at least five more or so. There's probably going to be a lot of these because there's already quite a few, and I think they're probably going to end up about over a dozen. So we're ha- we're about halfway there right now. So I think it's going to continue. How more how severe will these be? Who knows? But they're not going to be good. But anyway, yep. Let's uh, move on to something else. Up next in the show is the GDP GPD Pocket Two crowdfunding campaign. Now this is kind of a negative thing, but it's a it's a topic that I like to discuss as far as like what your interest is and things like that. So the the GPD Pocket 2, it was announced that it's not going to support, by default, any Linux-based system, or they're not going to provide a Linux model. Whereas the GPD Pocket 1 did provide an Ubuntu-based version. So what was interesting about the, the previous version is that the Ubuntu version was actually like hardware-wise inferior. So they kind of maybe shot themselves in the foot as far as like which one people chose because the people likely would chose would choose the Windows version, pay slightly more, and get a much more powerful version, and then just remove Windows and put Linux on it. Like it's possible that that's why they did it, but unfortunately, the Linux version is not is not going to be available in the next version of the GPD Pocket. It's actually kind of a shame because the GTP Pocket 2 does look a, a lot better and it has like improved some of the issues that the previous version had. But the price is still kind of ex- excessive. It's like $529 for the, the, the new version, which is roughly around the same, uh, about $50, $100 more, depending on the model uh, that you could get for the previous version. 
it was pretty expensive for those both of those. But one, so the question to you, uh, community, is: Do you think that this is a, a, a reasonable product for even whether, whether whether or not it has Windows? So, like, do, are you bothered by the fact that they've removed the window the the Ubuntu version, even though the previous model, the Ubuntu version, was inferior in general? Or would you be okay with just buying the Windows version and replacing it anyway? Because that's kind of what people did the first version. And also, what about the price? Because the price of the GPD Pocket 2 is is pretty high. You could probably get a pretty decent laptop or like two Chromebooks for this price. So do you think that this is a reasonable price for this this model or this uh, form factor? So it's a 7-inch tiny laptop basically or ultra-small laptop. And uh, I think it's interesting. I did actually get to play with the GTP Pocket 1 uh, at a conference I was at, uh, thanks to the community member Keith for letting me play with it. And it's really it was really fun to use because it's surprisingly the keyboard was okay. And uh, I don't know if I'd want to have it as like a you know consistent, not, definitely not a daily driver, but like a consistent uh, product to use. I don't know. But it was still fun to try out. So uh, anyway, I'm just curious what your opinions are. So just leave that those comments in the comment section below. Next up in the show is some unfortunate news for Slackware. The developer of Slackware has announced, well, not really announced, but he's he's made a comment on the LinuxQuestions.org website about some issues they're having with Slackware and his financial issues personally as well. He's, is a quote from the comment he said is, uh, I've been mulling over exactly how to tell you all this, and I guess this is as good a place as any. The store has been ripping me off horribly, and I'm very nearly broke. I have no evidence that they have ever done anything with donations besides line their own pockets. Yeah, that's some very harsh comments, and uh, I have no reason not to believe him, of course. But uh, he also says, uh, I've, I've not been paid any money by them in two years. That was upon the 14.2 release and followed another long period of time with no income at all. The 14.2 release generated nearly 100000 in revenue, and the store gave him 15000 They later said that that was overpaying. Obviously, that's totally messed up. But what you can do is that he's also, in this thread, they were talking about potential ways to support him directly. So they were talking about PayPal and Patreon and things like that, he said he's going to look into Patreon, but right now, if you would like to contribute to Slackware and to the development of it, you can look. Uh, I'll have a link in the show notes where you can submit PayPal donations to him uh, directly, so you can bypass the store. You know, po- potentially even cancel some orders or subscriptions that you have for the Slackware store because if he's if Slackware's not even getting the money anyway, there's no reason to support the store whatsoever. And in fact, they should probably just take the store off their website. And, you know, that's a, that'd be a good option too. But they might not be able to legally or something. There was some discussions about, he said that how much percentage that the store, he owns of the store versus what they own. And unfortunately, he for some reason gave them controlling interest of 60% to 40%. So he takes 40% if they give him the money, which they apparently are not giving him anything anyway essentially have full control over what they do, which is a very unfortunate situation because um, if you're, if you, if you run a project or anything, or you run a company, you should always, you know, keep a minimum 51% so that they can't do anything against you. Uh, it's just, uh, just not a good idea to do that kind of a structure. So in the future, um, if you, you, maybe people could learn from this kind of thing, but 
uh, hopefully uh, they'll be, Slack will be able to be funded again because it is an important distribution. Um, you know, one of the most important distributions, in fact. So uh, hopefully that you know the, the community will rally around the Slackwork developer and community or ecosystem and uh, you know sub- submit some PayPal donations and things like that to get him back on his feet sort of thing. And uh, maybe he could look into Patreon to do more like a recurring structure because uh, Patreon is actually probably one of the better solutions for this because it's a, a way to you know kind of rely on that money rather than just hope people will denote, donate. It's a uh, you know it's, it's definitely something you can consider. So if you'd like to read the thread and maybe donate to the Slackware uh, distro, you can find a link in the show notes. Ubuntu 18.04.1 has been released recently, and this is the late, the first point release of the LTS version for 18.04. Now, this is mostly like improving different aspects and uh, just basically adding new features and stuff like that so that you can have now, like for example, you can have Nightlight inside of the GNOME shell uh, improvements. You can also, they've, they've updated um, des- support for XDG desktop portals, and they've improved... Uh, support for Thunderbolt device authorization and a lot of other things like example you can even snap install the latest uh, version of the community theme I think it's still called that as far as in the package but it's called they've now branded it to Yaru or Y-A-R-U so if you want to check that out you can as well Um, so overall this is just like this is just a basic maintenance update for the, like basically that's what point releases are, but the most important piece of this particular thing is that the 1604 to 1804 upgrade is now available and is being suggested to 1604 users. So if you are using 1604 and you would like to upgrade, you can do so now with a without having to worry about going through the the release the command line release upgrade and going past the stipulations because basically when the first version of an LTS is released. The Ubuntu team does not issue the suggestion to upgrade until the first point release, which is this one. So uh, there's that if you are a 16.04 user. Uh, if you are, feel free to continue to use 16.04, though, because it still has you know three years left to support. So there's that. But anyway, uh, if you'd like to learn more, you can check out the show notes. And uh, there you go. Up next in the show is Rebecca Black OS. So maybe you've heard of... You know, other distributions like the Justin Bieber Linux distro or the Hannah Montana Linux distro. Maybe you've heard of that. But have you heard of Rebecca Black OS? This might seem like, why are you putting this on the show? And that's a fair question. Because it does seem like a joke, ridiculous distribution. But it actually has some merit to it. They they have a new version that came out recently. What's interesting about it is that it's a Debian-based distribution that runs exclusively on Wayland. So you can test out various different things that are Wayland-specific. So you can test out the uh, Hawaii desktop or the KDE Plasma desktop environment on top of Rebecca Black OS. And it's, oddly enough, useful. Now, when I first heard of this, I did assume that this is kind of ridiculous and, well, sort of still is. But I really like the fact that they took a distribution that apparently is a joke and made it useful so just thought you might want to check that out if you were interested in you know using Wayland um, for some reason up next in the show is an article that the Forbes magazine released 
for the five reasons you should switch from Windows to Linux right now. This article is written by Jason. Sorry, I'm going to butcher this, but I'm going to try anyway. Evangelo. If you watch this, let me know if I said that right or not. Anyway, so Jason wrote an article that uh, talked about his journey between switching from Windows to Linux. And this this article is, is really cool because it talks about the five... Uh, the five reasons, and he goes into like a overview and also like details of why that those uh, particular reasons are worth going, to, you know, worth using Linux for. And pretty much everybody knows, you know, who's a Linux fan or you know watches this show probably can guess quite a few of these reasons. But let's just go ahead and do like an overview of them. And if you'd like to read more details directly, you can find a link to the blog post or the Forbes post. Uh, in the show notes. But first, he says that Linux gets out of your way. No annoying Cortana pop-ups or pre-installed crapware, essentially. I mean, it doesn't use exactly those words, but the fact that there is a software on Windows called PC Decrapifier, I mean, that's actually the name of the, the software. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of like a little bit telling. So it's it's nice to see that you know people were pointing out like Linux just it just works and get out of, gets out of the way. That's That's what most people want from their computer. He says, and contrary to you know popular popular belief, is that you're not a slave to the terminal. You can use you can use Linux now without ever even opening the terminal, which is totally true. And he says that installing software is a lot easier, which is true. I mean, still some cases there's some like nuance that's annoying, but for the most part, you can just use an app store like the Ubuntu software store that's based on GNOME software. But you could use that, or you could use like whatever your distribution comes with. But and for the most part, he's referring to Ubuntu. And uh, updates are not a headache at all. Actually, updates are fantastic. If you compare them to Windows, Windows is like, "Hey, would you like to update?" And you're like, "No." Then ten minutes later, "Hey, would you like to update?" You're like, "No." Postpone for four hours, and then all of a sudden, it starts automatically updating without your permission, and it just reboots your computer. Yet Linux doesn't do that. And, and the fact that Linux doesn't actually force you to do updates ever, and even if you do an update, you don't have to reboot your machine most of the time. So that's awesome. And if you get the like the kernel, the live patching for the kernel set up, you don't even have to do it for the kernel. So like you could pretty much avoid rebooting entirely in those cases. They also point out, like talking about the previous situation where one company was experiencing a, a negative impact from the community, this particular um, user or, or writer has put the number five reason to use Linux is the Linux community because he found a lot of help and a lot of you know polite people and helpful people who wanted to just help him with his experience. And that is my experience with Linux. I think the vast majority of people who are in the community are fantastic. I, I think that it's nice to see when people outside of the ecosystem come in and you know, experience what, you know, I believe the community to be. That's always nice. If you'd like to read more uh, from about this, from this post, you can find a link to the Forbes article in the show notes. Up next in the show, we got some really cool news from the, thanks to the, our friends at gamingonlinux.com. They're talking about, they found out that the SteamOS 3.0 is coming, uh, codenamed Clockwork. And this is a potential, this is a really big update for lots of stuff. Now, they've also released a new beta, SteamOS beta, that is prior to Clockwork, which will have the new updated version of the kernel to 4.16, uh, updated Mesa to 18.1.5, and updating NVIDIA kernels, I mean, NVIDIA drivers, 
as well as uh, improving some support for pre-Vega cards on for AMD. So this is that's before Clockwork comes out. But when Clockwork comes out, we don't really have a ton of information. But they've talked about retooling their entire infrastructure for builds of the next version of SteamOS. So what they have confirmed is that SteamOS 3.0 or Clockwork will be based on Debian 9. So uh, it, it's not a very fast update, and in fact, it's actually kind of slow considering you know it takes like Debian to release every three years or so, and SteamOS is like a year after that. So it's not not quick, but it does show that Valve is still, you know, interested in keeping, uh, you know, their commitment to Linux and to SteamOS. So even though they're not fast to reiterate new versions, they are still doing it. And that is good to know. Uh, If you'd like to learn more about this release, as well as the other releases for SteamOS, you can check out the link to gamingonlinux.com in the show notes. Up next in the show is an update for the rounds game mode in Ballistic Overkill. If you haven't tried Ballistic Overkill, it is a fantastically fun uh, first-person shooter that is really fast-paced. If you like, uh, if you like kind of a slow-paced game, then that's not really what this is. But thanks to rounds, the, the rounds mode, it kind of can be because Ballistic Overkill is a first-person. You have a certain amount of time, and you just just unleash bullets and stuff. Uh, it's really fun. Hard to describe, but it's like a uh, a class-based system, so like you pick which class you prefer, and then you can just go and battle the rest of you know, the rest of the players. Now, rounds is kind of like a sl- like pulling back the fast pace aspects to it and making it you know kind of slow it down for uh, the fact that in the regular modes you can die as many times as you want and respawn over and over. But in rounds, you only have one life per round, so you play multiple rounds for a match. But each round, you only have one life. So if you die, you do not respawn. So the the goal is to kill all the other uh, people on the other team, or to have have more people survive during the each round than the other team. So it's it's an interesting approach to the game because it's a really fast paced game, and now they're kind of giving it a different vibe that's not you know that's a uh, much more slow paced for people who like that style of gameplay. They also added a lot of different, like a lot more servers, and I didn't know this, and I didn't know they were going to do this until we were playing it yesterday. Myself and Das Geek from Destination Linux, we were playing the new mode for rounds, as well as other community members. If you, if you'd like to join that game, you could go to uh, destinationlinux.org/discord or tuxdigital.com/discord, and you can find us playing in one of those two servers. Because Ballistic Overkill is a really fun game to play, and if you haven't, you should definitely check it out. And you can find a link to that game, as well as um, a link to the Discord servers in the show notes. Up next in the show is the Humble Sports Bundle. This is a new sports game bundle from the Humble Bundle, and it's actually pretty pretty great. Because there's a couple games on there I already own that you should definitely check out if you're interested in this kind of game. So first of all, the only, the unfortunate thing about this particular bundle is that the lowest tier does not have any Linux games. So all of these don't work on Linux. But the next tier has four Linux games, including Dirt Rally, which is really fun. Um, and I've never heard of Super Blood Hockey, but that sounds interesting. Um, 
And if you get to the next tier, you can get F1 2017 included for $12 or more. Now, if you if you also like the motorsport, like the manager type games, there's motor, Motorsport Manager and Football Manager 2018 has a discount code attached to it. So you can get it 75% off if you wanted to get that. So anyway, um, if you haven't checked this out, Dirt Rally and F1 2017 are definitely worth trying. I'm kind of curious about Super Blood Hockey now, so I might get that just, just to get it. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, so if you're interested in checking out the Humble Bundle for the Sports Bundle, you can find a link in the show notes. And to be uh, upfront about it, the link in the show notes is an affiliate link that will support Tux Digital with a small percentage if you purchase the Humble Bundle through that link. So if you'd like to support the, the Tux Digital channel uh, and the This Week in Linux show, then you can find a link for the Humble Bundle or Humble Sports Bundle in the show notes. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here on this show, please like that smash button and be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to support the channel, we have multiple ways to contribute, such as Patreon, PayPal, or even affiliate links. And if you'd like to learn more about that, you can go to tuxdigital.com slash contribute. Or you can order the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt by going to tuxdigital.com slash Linux is Everywhere. Or if you're in Europe, you can go to tuxdigital.com slash Linux is Everywhere EU for shipping from Europe. If you'd like some more podcasting goodness from me, then check out the latest episode of Destination Linux, as I'm one of the hosts of that show. Also, special thanks to Ryan, a.k.a. Das Geek from Destination Linux, for helping me with production of this particular episode of This Week in Linux. Just a reminder, this show is recorded live on Saturdays, so join us in the live chat room to discuss all the latest Linux news. If you'd like to catch the live stream, then be sure to go to tuxdigital.com slash thisweekinlinux. So there you can use the time zone converter to get the live time in your area. Thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tunnell with Tux Digital. And as always, keep using, learning, and enjoying Linux.